powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is up? What is up? What is up? Welcome to Game Over Edmonton. It's your boy, Avery Lewis McDougal. I'm back. New webcam. My mic works. No calamity like last show. <laughs> and I am here with a very special guest. If you follow Orla's Twitter, you know this man. It is the one, the only, Jason Adams. Adams on Hockey on Twitter. How you doing, buddy? Welcome to the podcast. How you doing, sir? Thanks for having me. I'm I'm doing well tonight. Little, very little to complain about, which is which is rare for me, as as most people all know. But uh, <laughs> no, like all in all, pretty happy with how things went tonight. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be on the show. I oh, appreciate that. Of course, Edmonton wins tonight, six to three on the road in Dallas. They knock off the three game slide, and it was a game, Jason, in which I love the fact that this was a game in which offensively the Oilers. We're not carried by McDavid and Drysaddle. You got scoring and production from the likes of guys like Randy Hopkins. You got points from Clem Costin, Matisse Anmar. This is a game in which Edmonton needs to get a win and show they can do more than just relying on those two big stars. Well, exactly. You know, we uh, you know the the team goes into Nashville and loses, and goes into <laughs> Dallas and wins. I mean, that's just how you drew it up, right? That's all we all expected <laughs> to happen, but. Uh, no, it was uh, it was good. No, it was nice to see some uh, some of the uh, some of the other guys stepping up. I mean, Nugent Hopkins has been fantastic all season long, and uh, you know, Yanmark. Uh, I've been saying it just uh, he's got to get got to get bumped down the lineup, and as soon as that line becomes the third line, you no, know, he he puts up three points. So it's uh, it's nice to see them uh, nice to see them finding some chemistry, and nice to see some uh, some guys we wouldn't expect leading the way tonight. No, of course, you mentioned Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He's like, he's on pace to. Uh, getting more than 25 goals, set a career high. And this is a guy in which he has had a just a overall a very steady season. I've liked what he's brought so far this year to the team, Jason. I'm sure you'd agree with his production as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, last year there was uh, there was a lot of concern about his ability to produce five on five. Um, I haven't taken a look at it lately, but it's it's definitely better this year. Um, Eugene Hopkins in in the last couple of years has kind of become your a, a bit of an odd duck in the sense that he's an elite special teams guy, but was kind of just so so five on five the last couple of years. But this year he's really taken his game to another level, and uh, you know he's the longest serving Oiler. He's uh, you know he's, he owns a racehorse named Infinite Patience, so it's uh, <laughs> he's, he's got a sense of humor and he loves loves being an Oiler, and I love seeing him succeed. No, of course, Infinite Patience. I mean, for a guy who's built this team. Since early early 2010s, I mean, you need infinite patience as a as a guy in that team that long as as fans as media members. I mean, we've seen this guy go through literally everything there is to have in the past decade on this roster. Jason, he's still been with his team. He took, he took a pay cut to stay with his team. I mean, he's a guy who's shown that you know no matter what's come his way, he wants to remain at Edmonton when a lot of guys would want to leave first chance he could get. Absolutely, and I mean during you know going into that off season, I remember it was kind of bounced around he could probably get something in the sevens maybe seven and a half somewhere else you know especially with uh with dallas not dallas with uh, seattle coming into the league mm. and you know, everybody's starving for offense it seems so uh, i definitely think he could have gotten more to go somewhere else but not only did he stay here he stayed here for as long as he could and uh you know this is obviously where he wants to be it's where his home is it's where his heart is and it's uh it's really nice to see him doing well this season no of course does it feel weird calling him a grizzled vet because he's been here for over a decade now he's only 29 years old like it feels like you should he doesn't be look old. a day over 16 <laughs> <laughs> it's true like you would think you know this guy is not aged since his days in red deer 
but yet he's the longest tenured guy on this roster. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, but uh, you know what? If, if he could somehow bottle his anti-aging routine, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would buy it. But uh, no, he's he's the guy that has been. You know, he's he's been an Oilers since uh, you know almost. I don't know if it's quite a decade yet or just over, but um, it's it's kind of fa- kind of fascinating to see that you know kind of his his evolution as a player from. You know the this highly touted you know number one overall draft pick to maybe not hitting the offensive highs we expected him to, but he was he always had a great two way game and you know the last couple of years he kind of shifted over played more of the wing than playing at center and now this year he's been back at center more so he's he's such a versatile guy and he's such an asset to this team and in the sense he can do literally anything you ask him to do and he you know he goes about his business with a smile on his face and that really endears him to a lot of people I think. It's like you never hear or see Ryan Nugent Hopkins complaining about what he's asked to do or the minutes he's played or anything like that. So, you know, he's he's a hockey player through and through. No, it's true. He really is. And you know, this roster, you know, one thing I thought was really strange was just the line of construction once again, where someone like Dylan Holloway was playing fourth line minutes. And I don't, I'm really sure what to make right now of um, Jake Woodcroft's support than <laughs> Dylan Holloway because when he's given more ice time, you can see what he can do. He gets to the net, he creates chances. So I'm a little bit baffled in terms of what Jay's doing with Woodcroft with the Hall- Holloway. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because him playing the fourth line of field, this was really strange to see against Dallas. It's it, it's odd, and I think that's probably the word I could probably use to describe Jay Woodcroft's season so far. And that it's just <laughs> it's been a little odd. You know, he, he's making some decisions that he maybe wouldn't have made last year, and I don't know if. You know, he was just focused on making the playoffs and wasn't, you know, wasn't necessarily like looking at the lineup as much as he was and just kind of going with his gut or, you know, whatever the case was, I felt like he was making better decisions as a coach last year. Um, There's also the fact, I mean, of course, the others are missing, you know, two of their top nine forwards and Evander Kane and Ryan uh, Ryan McLeod, and they've been out for a while. Um, That's going to throw a wrench into things for sure. But, you know, even... You know, even when Evander Kane got hurt, the Oilers were seven and six, so they weren't exactly shooting the lights out either. So maybe it's just a case of them needing to find their game a little bit. Maybe it's just a case of you know they don't quite have the personnel yet. Um, but his decision decision making with a guy like Holloway, as you kind of mentioned, is it's almost fascinating, and it would be fascinating if it wasn't so irritating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because. Like you, you see flashes in Holloway's game. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's big, he's fast, he's skilled. He goes to the right places. Um, even you know, even in limited minutes tonight, he was doing a lot of good things. You know, his underlying stats are fantastic. So, you know, the the play is going in the right direction when he's on the ice. It just kind of makes you wonder why. Like what what are, what's the coaching staff seeing that mm-hmm. we are not that make them not trust him more than seven or eight minutes a game. And until recently you've had a guy like Yanmark playing, you know, 17, 18 minutes instead, you know, like what, what would they have to see to kind of have those numbers meet in the middle? If, if, if that makes sense, but I don't know, I've always personally believed that skills got to play with skill to get a real feel for what, for what they are and what they're doing. And, you know, with, with all due respect to guys like, you know, uh, Derek Ryan and, you know, Devin Shore and that kind of stuff they're not out there to you know, produce offensively really like you know Craig McTavish said it you know said a while ago he doesn't 
um, when he was still coaching the Oilers, didn't necessarily want guys that would just break even at best. And in a lot of cases, that's what the Oilers' bottom six has been the last little while. Um, so, so why not try Holloway in an elevated role? I don't, I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very weird. I mentioned, yeah, he, he goes to the right places, and his shot. We we see each other before. We saw him game against the New York Rangers. Like he's got a shot that proves he has a place in the NHL for a very long time to come. So it's really odd to see what um, Holloway is doing. I saw a couple of comments, too, on Twitter before the game began. I saw a few comments where basically saying if Holloway is going to play in the fourth line, put him back in Bakersfield, we can do more in the AHL. So he's, because he's not really he's not, you're, you're utilizing him the best playing for right. five minutes. Yeah, I agree to an extent. You know, if he's not going to play more, then maybe yeah. he should go back to Bakersfield. And that's what a coach and a GM kind of have to kind of have to work together and figure out is you know what's best for the team and what's mm. best for the player and how do you how do you get best of both worlds you know there's is there value in you know seeing Connor McDavid practice every day is there value in seeing some of the the veterans you know work ethic and you know practice habits and that kind of stuff sure there is but is that more valuable than playing you know top line number one power play you know PK whatever you know kind of learning all aspects of the game in the AHL would be I'm not convinced it's more valuable than that. Like personally, I probably if if they're gonna play Holloway seven minutes a night, like mm-hmm. send him out to the AHL, you know, maybe he comes back next year and you know, kind of ready to grab a top top six role. But I don't know. At this stage, I would say that. Uh, but that's that's the other side of it too. Is it's it's a hard decision to make because I don't think he's playing poorly. Yeah. You know, in the minutes he's given, he's playing well. He's just not being given enough of them. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's really odd to see. And you know what? I I really think of the two. I, I think Warren Fogel reads Twitter because the fact that he got a goal tonight showed that, you know what, hey, he knows he has to step up in this game because his game over the past little while has been very pedestrian. He's just been a body. I know, he, I know he hasn't had the best year, but he's been a body when he's played in so far in the roster. So he's seeing him score. And hopefully hopefully he can carry it over to the game that we could against Vancouver and against, of course, um, Winnipeg later on because we're going to need a guy like Kim to step up and try to not be a pedestrian on this roster going forward, Jason. This will date me a bit and out me as the old man I am. But Fogel really reminds me of a guy that some of the some might be familiar with, some might not be. His name is Brad Isbister. Spent years <laughs> There's on the a throwback name. There's, there's a throwback name. But he, he was one of those guys who had every tool you could possibly want in a hockey player. He was big. He was quick. He could shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, he was decent defensively. He was in, in good positions. He didn't mind taking the body. But he, he couldn't do them all at once. It was like, you know, he had this list of like eight things he could do, and he could only pick three every game that he would do well. Um, and, and I see a lot of that in Fogel, but Fogel... No, he does a lot of the you know, a lot of the same things. He's big, he's quick, he's he's physical, he's got a great shot. He gets in a lot of trouble when he tries to stick handle. <laughs> um I, I've yeah, I I last year called him uh, called him canoe paddles on Twitter because his his hands are are not great. But when he when he plays, you know, your classic prototypical, you know, north-south game, you know, straight lines, finishing his checks, shooting when he's got an opportunity, he's a he's a valuable player. Um and you know, tonight was tonight was a good example of it. He just he got to the right spot. He didn't think about it too hard. He just shot the puck when it came to him, and it went in the net. So, you know, that's that's how he has to play to be successful. And I hopefully we see more of it. No, hopefully, could not agree more. And a big thing too, Edmonton's win tonight. I said I said on last my uh, a couple of days ago, Jason, is the fact that Edmonton has to find ways to get points against teams inside their conference. And getting points against teams of Dallas is huge because now they got you have games coming up against teams like. Um, 
Vancouver, uh, Winnipeg, and then in early January, you're playing Seattle. These are all teams you're going to be battling against when it comes to either a playoff spot in your, in your division or a wild card spot. So getting wins in your conference right now is massive for this team. It is. And if I remember correctly, Edmonton's record against the Western Conference generally, but the Pacific Division specifically, was actually excellent last year. So if they can get back to doing that and, you know, taking, you know, out of every 10 games that they can win six of them and get, you know, get a tie or two in, in here, an overtime loss, that's that's going to that's gonna pay dividends in the long run. You know, Seattle's playing really good mm-hmm. hockey right now. So they're, they're not a pushover in any way. <laughs> Right, it's funny. Like I, I'm enjoying that. You know, I'm glad we moved. I'm glad we moved past the days of an expansion team being horrible for five, six, seven, eight, nine years. I like the fact that Seattle's come in year two and built a team that wants to contend. Of course, if you're an Oilers fan, you don't like that. But I think for the league as a whole, seeing Seattle playing really well is a really good thing. Yeah, especially since you know three pretty <laughs> significant ex-Oilers are playing significant roles on that Seattle team right now, and uh, Justin Schultz, Jordan Everly, and Adam Larson. So you're it's it's a little bit bittersweet to watch them doing well, but uh, <laughs> especially that I don't know if you I don't know if you would have seen it, but that uh, that Everly Spinner Emma backhand goal from a few nights ago, I did see it, yes, that was that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I keep I watch it and I'm like, man, Oilers could use a guy like that. Oh wait, we we got rid of him after a playoff run that didn't go our way. So it's you know it, it's hard. It was a cost doing business, and you know kind of once once it got to that point, some guys had to get moved out. And you know Pete Chiarelli might have been a decent GM if he never let him anywhere near a phone and just let him draft and develop. But <laughs> unfortunately, he made trades too. So here we are. <laughs> right. And, you know, and of course, that's a great segue there, because speaking of guys who look good in Orlers blue and orange, one Mr. Jacob Chikrin. This is a guy who, like, I, I just find it so interesting how the fan, the, of course, we know who you last, we know who you, you talk to, and people say, you know, oh, Chikrin's not, not the guy. But most of the fan base agrees he's the kind of guy that you should be trading for. And I understand that the ask for Chikrin will be high from Arizona. They're probably going to want a prospect, a young player, and a pick. But I see it as if that's a cost of business, if you want to win, if you want to win now into the NHL, that's a cost of business. If it means sacrificing a pick or a couple of picks and a Philip Broberg and a prospect in Bakersfield, if you, if you want to win, you got to do it. I feel that's a cost of winning in the NHL right now, Jason. Absolutely. And, you know, this is where I'm going to start to get irritated because you know, there's been a few things come out to the last week or so that make me scratch, you know, make me scratch my head and want to throw things at the same time. So let's, let's start off with the, the evaluation of Broberg. And it's, it came out today. Um, Daniel Lugin Bowman, who I think is a fantastic writer, yes. um, put out a piece saying effectively that the Oilers believe that Philip Broberg could be as good as Jacob Chikrin by the end of the season. <laughs> I mean that would be great, <laughs> but I I just don't see it, and I don't know if they're overrating Broberg or they're underrating Chikrin or they're you know if their scouting report on Chikrin is four years old like every other scouting report in the organization I, I don't know, but 
to say Jacob Chikrin is not, and I'll borrow from Mark Spector here, staunch defensively is it's complete bullshit. <laughs> if you look at his game, if you look at his micro stats, if you look at his advanced stats, you, like watch the guy for half an hour and he is good defensively. Arguably, he would be the Oilers' best defensive defenseman right now. And honestly, it's not even that arguable considering the way some of the Oilers are playing right now. Um there's this this mentality, I think, that guys need to slot into the specific boxes that the media guys or the the, you know, the front office or whatever has picked for them. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're either an offensive guy or you're a defensive guy, and you can't be both. Jacob Chickren's both. No, he's not. Is he going to keep scoring at a point per game rate? No, he's not. It's going to come down eventually. But that doesn't mean he isn't good offensively and good defensively. He does a lot of things well. He's physical. He's fast. He, you know, he shoots the puck well, maybe too much. He's he makes a good first pass. He's strong in his own zone. You know the the game that um, you know that Edmonton walked all over Arizona. About the only guy that held his own and in fact was matched up against McDavid and Drysaddle and did pretty well was Jacob Chikrin. <clears throat> so I, I I don't I don't see a scenario where Philip Broberg is as good as Jacob Chikrin is by the end of the year. If Jacob Chikrin and Philip Broberg are similar players in three years, I'll, I'll be really surprised. And I, I don't even dislike Broberg. I just think he's more of a guy that he's, he's going to top out as a second pairing defenseman. And mm-hmm. Jacob Chikrin right now is arguably a number one, certainly a top pairing option. And he represents to me, he, he is your all-in move to me. So guys like um, Vladislav Gavrikov and Joel Edmondson and you know a few of the others that have been talked about, those, those are halfway moves. And Ken Holland's done a lot of that as Oilers GM. He hasn't made that big, impactful trade to change up the face of this team yet. He's done you know, the Tyler Ennis trade. He's done the Athena CU trade. Brick Kulak trade was a good piece of business. But again, Kulak's kind of more of a 4-5 in my view. Um, the Oilers really need to add an impact defenseman. And by impact, I don't mean hitting the boards. And in impact, I don't mean cross-checking guys in the head. I mean guys that can change, that, change the game on a dime. And Jacob Chikrin is that guy. He would be, if I was one of the Oilers, he would be target number one for me. And would I give up, you know, Broberg and a first round pick and, you know, a second round pick and a decent prospect for him? Yeah, in my sleep. Um, the challenge with Chikrin is that he's got a bit of a bigger cap hit than a guy like Edmondson does, mm-hmm. but really it's, only, it's about a million bucks. You can make that work. You just have to organizationally decide that, you know what, we're going to go for it. We've got McDavid, we've got Drysaddle, they're in their seventh and eighth years, respectively. This is the year to go for it. I don't know what's stopping them. I don't know what they're seeing in him that they don't like, but Chicken's a good defenseman, man. I, I don't, I don't know why they would, that would, I don't know why they would prioritize a guy like Joel Edmondson over him. That's baffling to me. Right. And you mentioned salary cap. Like I look at, I've said before on different shows, like, the elite team, the elite GMs, find a way to make the money work. Teams like Tampa Bay make it work. Vegas, for a moment, made it work. The elite teams figure it out. The elite teams don't throw their hands in the air and say, we can't make it work, or it can't happen, or it's too hard. That's a problem with the Oilers for quite some time has been. If it's too challenging, or if it doesn't work at first glance, they don't do it. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, 
you talk about the elite teams like Tampa. Tampa did their time where they traded a first round pick for their Joel Edmondson, David Savard, and they appeared to learn from it because when they got David Savard, they only played him 14 minutes a night. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think it would be quite that drastic in Edmonton for Joel Edmondson's ice time, specifically because they would keep playing him long past it became long past it when it became obvious that he couldn't handle, you know, 20, 21 minutes a night on, on a team that's got Stanley Cup aspirations. But I don't dislike Edmondson. I just feel like he's valuable at the right price and that price is nowhere near a first rounder first round pick or uh, Xavier Borgel to me like if you can add him for lesser pieces you know or if, if you can get Montreal to retain half do you throw them a second round uh, second round pick and a decent prospect sure why not that's fine but Edmondson's not going to change the, the the outlook of this team you know they're going to get bigger they're going to get slower. They're not really going to defend any better. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I just, I don't understand, you know, a guy like Mark Spector lusting over this guy. <laughs> he's not, he's not that good and he's not that impactful. He's just big. No, exactly. And you mentioned the Oilers were valuing certain things then and how they trade. I'll be back even like say Duncan Keith trade, which Duncan Keith, the, the term could have been great if Chicago retains some salary. And you weren't giving back a lot of assets. It could have been a, it could have been fine if it was Chicago eating most of the salary and Chicago losing that right. deal. The fact that Edmonton lost that deal for Keith showed that Tolan lost that trade. I mean, Edmonton, if you're, yeah, if it's Edmonton for yeah a bit prospect or a lower draft pick, sure. But Edmonton for Borgo, that would be ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah, the the, the Keith trade is is another another can of worms, but <laughs> no, it's. Keith, Keith was okay as an Oiler. Like his his event stats were fine. You know he do I think he helped out Evan Bouchard a bit? Sure. Mm. He wasn't worth five and a half million, <laughs> and we're pretty lucky he decided to retire because God knows what we'd have done if he hadn't. But it's it, for me, it's just more evidence that Holland and his band of merry men don't necessarily value the right things to win in today's NHL. Mm-hmm. You know. And I said this earlier today, but you know the the Oilers appear to be trying to emulate the the Habs team that went to the Cup final and lost. Why are, why are we trying to model ourselves after a team that didn't win the Cup when mm. the team that beat the Habs and the team that beat us stomped us in the dirt with skill and speed and youth? I don't understand trying to counteract that with the likes of Joel Edmondson. You know, you like. If, if we're in an arms race, let's be in a proper arms race and add a couple pieces of our own to try and tip the scales our way. You know, not throw Joel Edmondson back there and hope for the best. <laughs> no, exactly. It's true. And you know what, Jacob Chickler, not, uh, you know, there were the comments on, you know, on how hopefully he can defend. And there was that there was that Twitter thread that Papa McLeod put out there, which showed, plain and simple, if people want to, want to talk about, you know, the eye test, there's visual proof right there of Jacob Chickren for two minutes straight being strong his own end, denying his own entries, forcing turnovers. Like, how much more proof do you need to see that Edmondson, like, I'm sorry, um, Chickman, like you said, Jason, can defend and be an asset offensively? Like, what more proof do you really need? <laughs> and there's there's narratives like, you know, if if Chickren was so good, why hasn't he been traded already? And that just makes me want to put my head through my computer. Like, GMs <laughs> don't have to rush to the trading table if they think they're going to lose a trade. And Jacob Chickren is a 
a plus quality asset you know I, the, the coyotes are going to take they're going to take as long as they take i think to get the price that they want and mm-hmm. his recent pay his recent play has increased that asking price not taking the edge off of it um Yes, Chikrin's got some injury problems, but frankly, so does Edmonton. And frankly, every NHL player is at risk of getting injured. So, you know, take a guy that's playing well and, and go for the best. And if he gets hurt, he gets hurt. There's nothing you can do about it. But for the games that he is playing, he'll he's a massive difference maker. And, you know, outside of maybe like a Matthias Ekholm, who's been mentioned a couple of different times as potentially available, Again, I don't really see it because Nashville's kind of right in the thick of things. And Nashville's mm-hmm. always kind of in that, you know, six through ten spots. They're always kind of in the in the playoff hunts. And you know, Ekholm's got I think three years left at six point two five or something like that. So he'd he'd be even harder to fit in the chick run would be. But you know, this this team has to make a move to fundamentally change how it plays hockey. Because you no, know, tonight aside, the team has just kind of been okay this year, and fans. And as well as you know, media, everybody in the front office, nobody should be okay with this team just being average right now, which is what it is. No, exactly. I totally agree. And before wrapping up here, Jason, I got to pay some bills and be kind to our sponsor. Sports Interaction here for one second. Think you know which, what way it's going to go? Make your bet with Sports Interaction. Whether it's hockey, football, or basketball, Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see what sports betting has to offer. Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. 19 plus, please play responsibly. And Jason, with this team, I do want to ask you, what have been your overall thoughts in terms of, of course, goaltending through the starts again tonight? gets another win, and I've been a big Stuart Skinner guy for a very long time, so seeing him get another win is great for me, but Jack Campbell, it's just, Jack Campbell came into this year as the number one starter, and I knew his play could be shaky, but seeing him right now pretty much be the number two guy, it's not a good situation right now for the Orlers, it's not good, and, you, and you're seeing people discussing a buyout after year one, like, you can't be buying him out after year one, but the place he's in right now he is not the starter that they need right now, Jason. The NHL is a cap league, and you've you've only got so much money to play with. And the problem is, is that for a position like goaltending, it's even harder than it's even harder to hide somebody than say a defenseman or a forward that's not playing well. You know, most NHL teams carry two goalies. You can carry three if you have to, but teams don't like to do it because it it really hamstrings you in other areas. You, you can't have an unplayable goalie on the roster for very long. And, you know, right now, Stuart Skinner, it's it's his net. He's not giving it back anytime soon, it looks like. He just got, got a new contract. Looks like the, the organization likes him. He likes the organization. You feel bad for Jack Campbell. You really do because you wanted him to come in and you wanted him to play well and you wanted him to, you know, take that starter's role and, you know, maybe be a, a 1A, 1B situation with Skinner. But... Campbell's just not playing well, and you don't really know what what to do about it in this case. You can, I guess you kind of just let him keep working with the goalie coaches and maybe change his equipment around. Um, apparently, he um, 
he did, was using nylon cord in his glove, which as far as I understand is not very common for goalies. And they switched over to skate lace, which is a little bit more rigid, a little bit stiffer. Um, so you can, you know, it's, it's kind of, kind of forms more of like a bulwark back there. So it actually stops the puck. Like there was a couple times, I think it was one of the Svechnikov shots earlier this year. You could see like the puck kind of, it went into his glove, but he couldn't control it from that point. Right. That hasn't happened as much lately since he made the switch. So maybe something like that's helping him out, but the Oilers also aren't in a position where, they can throw Campbell a start every three games and, and hope it goes well. <laughs> they need every point they can get. So, you know, what do you do with Jack Campbell right now? I don't, I don't know. You know, you've, you play him on back-to-backs and hope it, I hope it irons itself out and hope that, you know, Dustin Schwartz can do some work with him, but just Dustin Schwartz is a fairly polarizing figure among, among Oilers fans. Um, you know, there a lot of people don't like him, but you know, all the goalies I know, they say nothing but great things about him and say he's really well respected in the community. So maybe he can do some work with him, maybe not. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's not a great situation. Um, I, I think they have to look at every option they have in terms of moving him. Um, you can look at a guy like you know, say Matt Murray or Peter Mrazek and that and that kind of thing. Like goalies are almost always movable because a lot of teams want want to give them a, a shot, especially a team with nothing to lose. Like maybe a Chicago or something like that next year would uh, would give them a try. But I don't know. They uh, you know you got basically you got to take this year and play him you know every four or five games and then see if he can uh, see if he can iron himself out. But uh, yeah, I, I I hope he does better. He seems like a super nice guy, and uh, you know it's been spoken about a little bit. He gets really down on himself mentally when he's struggling. So mm-hmm. you, know, you, you hope he can pull himself out of it. But I don't know. <laughs> no, of course, you really do. You Not really looking do good right now. <laughs> yeah, you really do hope he can pull himself out of it because you you because you know in the postseason you are going to need both Skinner and Campbell to step up. But I will I will say this much, though, Jason. One problem though, like the guys in front of him, too many times you see this team playing from behind way too many times and not ready to get into a period at the start. Like we saw, and even though Edmonton won this game, they gave up a goal in the second period less than a minute in. And, I, and it doesn't matter what goal he did. It doesn't matter if it's Skinner or it's Campbell. Not being ready to start a period, it hurts the team as a whole, not just through goaltending. For sure. And, you know, he's been ripped on a lot. I don't necessarily want to rip on him here, but Nurse is having a really tough start to the season. He looks like a guy that's being weighed down by the weight of his own contract. Um, it's not a good situation when Tyson Berry has arguably been your best and most complete defender all year long. And, you know, Barry, Barry's having a good year and, uh, you know, good for him, happy for him, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know how many playoff rounds a team with Tyson Berry as his best defender is going to win. <laughs> I'm going to guess that's zero, but uh, you know, Nurse has shown he can play some really high end hockey for long stretches, and uh, you know there there were some whispers he might still be you know nursing his hip injury a little bit. So mm-hmm. hopefully he can figure it out too because uh, that's uh, he's had a tough go this year. <laughs> he has, but you know what? Hey. A trade for Jacob Chikrin, someone can help Darnell because right now Darnell, at times you can see he's doing a bit too much, and he's a good defenseman. He is, you know, he is still going to be a franchise D-man. But bring Jacob Chikrin, he can help out Darnell and make Darnell feel he doesn't have to be Mister Everything and play <laughs> almost three minutes a night or make certain plays because there's certain plays Darnell makes. It's like the boring play can be fine. You don't have to make that risky play all the time, Darnell. A boring safe play can be just as good as a high risk play. So. 
you acquire Chikrin, you give Darnell some help on the back end, that would be great to see. And Jason, before I wrap things up, I do want to let you, where can people, where can people find you on Twitter? We're going to find you on social media, good buddy. Uh, my my handle is at Adams on Hockey. Uh, my name changes seasonally, uh, <laughs> and so uh, you'll, you'll you'll find me at Adams on Hockey, and uh, I'll be wearing a bandana and sunglasses because I started doing that, but honestly, because I have a very large head and most hats don't fit, so <laughs> that's kind of why I started, and and now I'm just stuck with it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I appreciate you coming on to Game Over Edmonton tonight. Got to get you back on again before the year ends. It was a blast talking to you tonight, buddy. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Avery. It was uh, it was a treat to be here. No, of course. And for those of you in the chat, thank you all for tuning in to Game Over. Be sure to like, subscribe, and comment to the SDPN YouTube channel. Your likes and comments and shares help us all. And like I always say, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your frenemies about the podcast. For Jason, I'm Avery. We are out. See you guys next time. Zach will be back with the next podcast when the Oilers take on Vancouver on the 23rd. Peace out. Have a good night. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction. Canada's no Sportsbook.